to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. Uh, so we're really excited this morning. we got Jeremy Settle is going to come and share. And I'm really privileged. I'm on the missions team, so I get to help interview new mission candidates. And we interviewed these guys, and they were in Japan when we interviewed them. So it was like, what, 2, 3 in the morning? They got up and did a Zoom call with us, and they were more awake than we were. So I was shocked. Uh, but I was really impressed with these guys. They've been missionary associates in a couple different locations. They're going now as full missionaries to Japan which is one of the largest unreached groups, that's countries that's open to missionaries. And so I know you think, oh, Jap- Japan, that's easy Japanese food, but it's not an easy place to go. Uh, so I am so excited. So would you give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Jeremy Settle? Let me grab a mic. Glad you guys, man. So excited for you. <clears throat> Thank you guys so much. It's uh, my privilege and my pleasure to be here. I love the opportunity to come and share. Thank you, Pastor, for having, so much for having me. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and just uh, share. And can I tell you, I got one agenda today. And that's to tell you about God's faithfulness in my life. All right? So if there's one thing that you leave with today, I hope you hear about God's faithfulness in my life, because he's not different from me to you, all right? So, as Pastor said, my name is Jeremy Settle. We're, my family, we're missionaries to Japan. Um, this is my beautiful family, the pride of my life. My, I wish they were here with me. They would have wanted to be. Um, unfortunately, they have school and other things that they're kind of taking care of right now. This is my wife, Melissa, and my kids. Uh, so, middle ones, five, seven, and nine. So, when we started... Um, the two on the right weren't even in the picture. The one on the left was about yay high, 14 mm-hmm. months old, um, little beautiful red-haired girl in Africa, the only white-skinned <laughs> red-headed child they'd ever seen. Um, so that was quite an experience, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, Melissa and I, we grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid, so anything bad you've heard about pastor's kids is probably <laughs> true of me. Um, I walked out of, away from God out of high school, um, and I just made an absolute mess of my life. And here's the thing. My story could have ended there. I know people whose stories have ended there, but, but it didn't because of God, mm-hmm. because God and his faithfulness. God met me in the mess of my life, and he called me to follow him. My wife and I, we got married in 2011, and six months later, God opened the door for us to go to overseas missions. And he gave me this, this passion that I had never experienced so intensely to share the good news with the lost and the broken. You guys know the parable of the 99 sheep, right? The lost sheep, parable of the lost sheep, everybody know it? You got, you got 99 sheep and the wonder wanders away, right? And, and, the, and the shepherd's like, oh, well, at least I got 99, right? Is that what happened? No, he, he went after that lost sheep. He left the 99, and he went after that lost sheep. And can I tell you, that's my story. I'm the lost sheep. And the Bible says that we all, have she- as sheep, have wa- wandered astray, but God, but God, he left heaven, and he came to earth, and he pursued each and every one of us. We, are, we live in 
You guys live in Lexington, Nebraska. Can I tell you, you live 2,000 years after Jesus came to the earth. He knew about you, and he died for you, just like he died for me. So in 2013, God opened the door for us to go overseas. We went to a small island in Africa, a Muslim country, closed country, about 300,000 Muslims, and we lived there for two and a half years old, two and a half years with our, our one-year-old daughter. And can I tell you, Africa is amazing. I have never been that guy who just wanted to go to Africa the whole life, but we signed up to go, God opened the door, and we went, and it was amazing. It was big. It was beautiful. It's kind of like the Wild West. Like, rules are kind of a fuzzy concept in Africa. I could show you some of the, the OSHA violations that I saw. I mean, it just terrify you how high they can stack up luggage on top of, the top of some of their buses. I mean, uh, it's scary. Africa was also really hard. I have never done anything so physically intense in my life. You guys, you guys like summertime? Show of hands. Summer or winter? Who's, who's summer? Summer? All right, who likes winter? I'm a winter guy. I like cold weather. Africa was 90 degrees, 90% humidity, 75% of the year. So, I mean, I, I took five showers a day. I changed my shirt three times because I'm, I'm a cold weather guy. I'm a sweater. And uh, it was hard. We had to learn how to speak another language. It wasn't a written language. They didn't have, like, grammar books. They didn't teach their language in school. You just learned it as you went. Um, but we had to learn the language. We learn how to live, how to get groceries. Can you imagine how your life would be different if you didn't have a refrigerator? You got to go to the market two, three times a day, you know. You got to cook everything fresh. And we were brand new missionaries. I had never served in a church before. We're trying to raise up a church in the middle of a Muslim people group. But can I tell you, God was not limited by me. And God did a miracle in a young woman's life before we ever met her. And when we met her, her words were, I want to know who Jesus is. I want to study the Bible. And the miracle that he did in that woman's life, it started a Bible study, and that Bible study turned into a church and they would not stop sharing about the goodness of God in their lives. And there's a church on that small island because of the faithfulness of God. So I want to play a short video clip for you if you guys have it in the back. Um, when they first came to Jesus, they had never worshipped Jesus in their own language. And so we, we told them, hey, you guys got to meet. You got to worship and study the word. And so they downloaded French worship music. And we're like, no, 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 you guys don't even speak French. Why would you do that? You know, worship in your own language. So we did a worship writing workshop, and this is one of the songs. You guys go ahead and play it. This is one of the songs that they wrote, and this is the Lord's Prayer. And these are the ladies, the first ladies who gave their lives to Christ on this island. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, you could shut it off. That is the first worship music ever written in that language. Can I tell you? That's the favorite thing I've ever done in my entire life. It was recorded in my living room on a little 12-track mixer linked to my old beat-up laptop. But tell you what. The joy on their faces when they worship the Lord in their own language, in their own culture, 
just like God had done in my life, I was able to bless somebody in another place that, that wouldn't have been able to be blessed if, if nobody had gone. And it wasn't about me, it's about God's faithfulness. So we returned from Africa in 2016, and then in 2018, we transitioned to Japan. We served there for three years at a U.S. military church, and there was also a Japanese church there. And while we were in Okinawa, God gave us this tremendous heart for the Japanese people. And he's confirmed our call to go there and spend the rest of our lives trying to reach the Japanese people. As Pastor Rex said, the Japanese people are unreached. But that's not really what we think of when we think of Japan, is it? What do we think of when we think of Japan? Anybody? What's that? Toyota. That's right. We think of Toyota. They got great cars. I'm going to tell you what. You buy a Toyota, you got quality, right? We think of rice. We think about sushi, right? Uh, or if you're young, maybe you think of like Japanese animation or, or maybe you think of the samurai, you know. We think of the rich culture. We think of Mount Fuji and the beautiful landscapes and the sakura blossoms, right? The cherry tree blossoms. But can I tell you what? Jap- Japan is full of mental health issues. People who are working themselves to death. People who feel the pressures of this life and they realize that they are insufficient and, and, and they can't do it by themselves. And they're full of depression and anxiety just like the people on the rest of the face of this earth. There's addiction, there's poverty, there's child abuse. But the difference is there are not people there. There are not enough people to tell people, tell them about the name of Jesus, to tell them about the, the life-transforming good news. Guys, the things in this world that I've struggled with, this is the answer. This is the answer. And they need the answer in Japan. The Japanese people are the second largest unreached people group in the world. They are the largest group of people that is completely open to missionaries, and they're still unreached. That's 125 million people. They're born, they get married, they go to school, they have children, they die, never hearing the name of Jesus. God's opened a door for us to go and plant a church in the city of Osaka. Osaka is part of a metropolitan area of about 20 million people. And we've seen God's faithfulness in Africa and we know that he is faithful and he's good. He has a vision for Japan. And we are believing that God's going to do something new in Japan. And we are going to go and we are going to labor to plant a church that plants churches that plants churches. So we thank you so much for having us here today. We thank you for your prayers and your support. We thank you so much for being a church that gives to missions. I tell you what, I see those missions walls and I see kingdom impact across the world. So thank you so much. So today... Rather than talking about um, where we're going and what we're going to do, I want to share a message with you um, about what I've learned it means to follow Jesus. That's a passionate thing in my life that I love to share about because God's been good to me. You know, and, and when I talk about being a Christian, really, I rarely ever use that phrase. Usually I say following Jesus because when I grew up, I grew up a pastor's kid in church, I kind of grew up in the box. You guys know what I mean? I had an idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And it wasn't primarily tied to Jesus. It was tied to culture. It was tied to what it looks like. What do we dress? How do we speak? That kind of an idea. So let me give you some examples. Who here is a corn husker? Anybody corn huskers? All right, I'm sorry. No. 
You guys have had a rough go over these last few years. It's going to get better, all right? There is hope. But Cornhuskers, that's like you wear a certain clothing, right? You got the hats. You go to certain events together. You talk about the sort of shared things. That's a, that's a group of people. Or maybe um, CrossFitters, anybody like to work out. Uh, maybe vegans, that's another type of idea. They, they associate based on commonalities, right? But sometimes growing up, I felt like Christianity was kind of like, like it's a club, but it's kind of a weird club, you know? I, I'm a pastor's kid. I get to say that. I'm, I'm unrepentant. Uh, I'll, tell you some, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I was a sophomore in high school, and I was there before church, the pre-service prayer. And you know what? I love pre-service prayer because those people are passionate about the Lord. And so I was part of this prayer circle. It was about, I don't know, six, seven people. And you know the type? They all had iron white hair. They were all getting after it, praying in all of their grandchildren into heaven, right? I mean, they were the prayer warriors of the church. And I'm, I'm there kind of the only young guy. I'm a sophomore. Cool as, cool as a cucumber, right? And uh, just sitting there praying. And they started acting kind of funny. And I was like, okay, well, you guys want to do that. It's fine. But I'm not doing that. They, they, they would together, it was almost like a score. They'd shake and they'd kind of go down like this. And just, they were just really, and I was like, that is so weird. I said, that's cool for you to do it, but I'm not doing that. And I, I kid you not, like an iron grip, they grabbed me and they pulled me down with them. And I was like, what are you doing? That's so weird. I had an idea of what Christianity was based on the trappings. But can I tell you, the trappings didn't keep me in Christianity. Yes, I wanted to go to heaven. Jesus sounded like a great guy, but I was in love with the idea of what the world had to offer, and I turned my back on the Lord. And as I said, I made a mess of it. But God, he left the trappings, he left the culture, he left everything. Jesus came into my space, into my mess five years later, and he met me there. And he said, follow me. He said, I want to heal the broken pieces of your heart. I want to heal the broken pieces of your life. I want to knit you back together and teach you that I'm faithful. Teach you that I'm good. I'm better than the world. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it wasn't like this quick process. It happened for years and years. And I learned that God was trustworthy. And I learned that I could follow him. So this morning, I want to tell you some of those things about what it means to follow Jesus that I've learned. So real simply, I, I call this message, Following Jesus Is. Following Jesus Is. Fill in the blanks, three very simple things about what it means to follow Jesus. The first one, you guys, if you want, you can get ahead and open your Bibles to John 14, 23. I'll be there in a minute. Following Jesus is about relationship. And you're like, man, that is so simple. That's obvious, right? But can I ask you, is that how we primarily think about our faith? Do we think in terms of Christianity, in terms of a daily relationship with Christ? If you have a relationship with your spouse, but you never spend time with them, do you have a relationship? Not so much. All the older men in the church, they're shaking their heads because they know it's easy to drift away. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about creating that time. You have to be intentional about getting back in and, and spending time with that person. Do we think about our relationship with Christ 
in those terms? Or is it more of the, the trappings? Is it more of the, the rules? Because for me growing up, can I tell you, it was all about rules. I had this crazy experience while I was in Africa because it was a Muslim country. Does anybody know much about Islam? Islam is a religion of rules. They have hundreds of them. And if you don't obey the rules, if you don't follow the rules, you're not the club. You're not a good Muslim if you don't pray five times a day. If you don't fast during Ramadan. I mean, it, it gets really petty. You have to brush your teeth a very specific way. When you enter a room, you have to enter with one foot. I think it's the left foot. And then the right foot after that. When you pray, and they all pray in a line, they pray so that their feet touch each other. Because they believe that if the feet don't touch each other, that the devil will get into the cracks. So they have all of these rules. Can I tell you, in Christianity, we have a lot of rules too, don't we? And sometimes we allow those things to identify us. But can I tell you, that's not what we are identified by. We are identified by a relationship with Jesus. And whether or not you are the worst sinner out there, or you are as sanctified as you could possibly be, that's not what identifies you as a believer. It's whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. The thief on the cross. Yet he was not very sanctified, was he? But Jesus said, I'm going to see you in paradise. He had, he had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, when he, he came up to his disciples, what did he say? He said, you know what? We got a special on membership right now. If you join my crew, we get all sorts of member discounts. It's only $9.99 a month, right? Was it a club invitation? Did they get a card? No. He said, follow me. Real simple. Leave what you are doing right now. Peter had to stop. He had to stop his trade. He had to get up and follow Jesus. And and they followed Jesus on a road trip, right? A three-year-long road trip. I love road trips, but three years feels kind of long to me. You get to know somebody, and then there's a point where you know them maybe a little too well, right? I mean, we do a lot of road trips right now. We're doing a lot of traveling, and I love my family, but the kids, they just fight. They know each other maybe a little too well. And I imagine the disciples fought a lot. But I bet they also really fell in love with Jesus, too, in that time. So in John 14... We find ourselves at the end of this road trip. It's right after the, the Last Supper. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he begins this, it's about three, four chapters long, and he begins this dialogue with them. He's saying, guys, I'm about to go to the cross, and this is the last things that I want you to know. And he says this one phrase about five times, and it just kind of stuck in my heart when I was first coming to believer. It's John 14, 23. He says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So it's really the, bit, the first bit. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And I kept on seeing this in this passage, and I, I went back and counted, and he says it at least five times. And I was like, well, you know, if God repeats himself, it's pretty important, right? You've got to pay attention. And I was like, okay, so if we obey him, right, then it proves that we love him. Right, but what's the emphasis there? Did I get it right? Like, the emphasis that I just said, which is how I first thought of it, is if I obey these list of rules, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, if you love me, if you love me, then you will 
do the things that I've commanded you? Do you love him? And can I tell you, I think we naturally tend to approach God like this. We naturally, like, maybe you're like me and you like to live comfortably. But when you have guests coming over, it's time to take everything and put it in a cabinet, put it in a closet. You know, you got to clean up, you got to look presentable. We do that when we come to church too, right? We put our nice clothes on, kind of get after our kids, put something a little bit nicer in that. Your, your pants have holes in them. You know, we like to clean up and look good for God, and there's nothing wrong with that. But can I tell you, that's not the basis on which Christ accepts you. The truth is that we will never obey him. We'll never follow him truth, truly or fully if we don't love him, love him more than anything else in this world. And you have to start with relationship. Following Jesus is about relationship. Can I tell you, relationships are all about trust. They're about trust. If you don't trust somebody, I'm not sure that you have a relationship with them. And it's easier to say, well, I have a great relationship with so-and-so, but can you, if, if I say, well, do you trust him? You say, I, I love Jesus. I, I'm like, okay, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Because if you trust somebody, then when they ask you to do something and they say, I, I'll take care of you, Jesus says, I'll provide for you. Tell you what, I've been a Christian for a while, and that one still gets me. I still kind of get to that point of anxiety, like, come on, God, you said you were going to provide I'm following you, but it's getting awful close to this cliff edge here. Are you going to be faithful? But if we trust him, and when I first came to the Lord, Jesus would say to me in the midst of my brokenness, he'd say, hey, I want you to take this part of your life and give it to me. Oh, my God, careful. You're stepping on my idols here. You're stepping on my idols here. Be careful. I say, okay. You say you're good. You say you love me. You say that the things you have for me are better than what I have. And I say, okay, I'll, I'll take a step of faith. And as I did, God began to heal the broken pieces of my heart. He began to heal those areas of, of darkness and those areas of the lies, the enemies, that I, the enemies' lies that I had believed had created strongholds, had brought pain in my life, and God healed those things. And the craziest thing happened. People, would, they'd say to me, Jeremy, you are like smiling all the time. I've never seen you laugh so much. You laugh just like your dad, people kept saying. And it, was, it kind of freaked me out, actually. And I realized that God in this relationship had begun transforming my life in a way that was profound. And I realized that I loved Jesus, and I had a desire to follow him and to tell people about him. If you love him, you'll obey his commands. You'll go where he calls you. It's about a relationship. Can I ask you, where is God leading you? Because when you begin following Jesus, he doesn't just leave you where you are. This, this, this thing that we call Christianity, it's a relationship with a God who is on the move. The disciples, they didn't just stay in one spot. Jesus was always going, and he was always going to the brokenhearted. He was always going to share the good news of the kingdom with the lost. And the dying, he, he had a heart of compassion for people. And when we love Jesus, we join in that with him because he changes our hearts. You, you can't help it. 
you can't help it. It is, it, is, it is just the way that it happens. He begins changing your heart and softening your heart for the lost and the dying and the broken. We love, Jesus. We love others because Christ loved us first. And you might say, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. That's great for you. But I can tell you, Ephesians 2 says that we are God's masterpiece. You, you're a masterpiece. And you were created in Christ Jesus so that, it says, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has things that he wants you to join him in doing. He has things that he created you to do. Whether or not you're a pastor. Can I tell you, when you tell somebody you're a pastor, closes a lot of doors. But if you tell somebody you're a truck driver, they're interested in talking with you all of a sudden. You got an in that pastors and missionaries don't have. When I'm in Japan, telling somebody I'm a missionary is like the last thing that I do. Because it's like, oh, I got an idea who you are. You have an opportunity to share life and truth with people in your communities. I got to get going here. So number one, following Jesus is about relationship. Number two, following Jesus is going to look different than you expect. And I always add this caveat. It's going to look different than you want it to look like either. I don't know. God's not a respecter of our plans. He's not. He's better than us, and he wants better than we want. So in 2011, we were um, freshly married, and we wanted to change things up. And we're like, okay, well, let's just get out of Omaha. Let's leave Omaha. Let's go to Seattle. I, I, I was raised in Seattle for a period of my life, and I love the area. And I was like, you know what? That sounds exciting. Let's go. And we made all these plans. We looked at apartments. I was ready to transfer my degree, ready to go. And then I was like, ah, maybe we should pray about it. And so my wife and I, we, we prayed about it, and I was like, okay, God, this is the plan. Please bless it. Amen. I know it's like, you ever do that? Sometimes you like pray real quick in the hopes that God just, just kind of slides by his radar. And I, it was so clear. God said no. He said no. I put you at that church in Omaha. It had been a direct answer to prayer a few years back. And, and he said, I put you there, and you're not done at that church. And I was upset I was literally upset because we had made all these plans, and I kind of had my heart set on it. I'm that guy. When I get my heart set on something, I'm ready to go there. But we decided, okay, God said no, so we'll stay. And can I tell you, it was only a few months later he opened the door for us to go and be missionaries. And it was that church where he put us, Good News Church in Omaha, that has been the rocks of our foundation. It has kept us on the field. They pray for us. They send us words of encouragement. They have helped us to connect with people who want to send us to the field. And it was that relationship there. I would not be here today if I had disobeyed God and left. I would not be here today. Following God, God had a better plan than I did. And can I tell you, it hasn't just been like a few times when following Jesus has been different than I thought it was going to be. In the 10 years of following Jesus, it has constantly looked different. It's constantly been different than I wanted to. You see, when you follow a real person, Jesus was skin and bones, flesh and blood. He's at the right hand of the Father. When you follow somebody who is a person, you have a relationship with them, they don't always do what you want. (laughs) And we see this in the Bible as well. If you would, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the disciples. It's verse 20. You can probably start in 29. I'm going to start at 27. I'll make my way down. So Mark 8, 29. 
And Jesus, he, he says, he's talking to the disciples, and it says, uh, he asked them, he said, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say, you're one of the prophets. Verse 29, he says, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you're the Christ. Peter was the uh, first person to do the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. It's, it's almost never the wrong answer, though. There's some profound truth there. He got the right answer. Yes, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're our Savior. And, and he began, verse 31 says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What's he doing here? He says, yes, I am the Christ. This is what that's going to look like. Did they like that? Suffer, rejection, death. Sounds great. We're on board. We're your disciples, so we're probably going to get some of that too. Yes. No, <laughs> they weren't happy, I bet. He said this plainly, and Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Peter's like, you know what? I, that's not what I signed up for. I bet Peter had a good thought in mind. We, we give Peter kind of a hard time because he speaks his mind, but he probably had this idea that Jesus was going to kick the Romans out, right? He, Peter wanted good things for his people. Can I tell you, God had better plans in mind than Peter did. And listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on what? The things of God. But you're setting your mind on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny his plans. Let him deny his agenda. Let him deny his hopes and his dreams. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, wonderful man, writes great books. Uh, he has cancer. Pray for him if you think of him. He said this. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. When was the last time you followed God grumpy? I follow God grumpy a lot. I'm just going to be honest here. I'm kind of a grumpy person sometimes. I, I, I'm prideful, and I kind of like light things my way. I like to be controlling, and God, he, he ain't got time for that. He doesn't got time for that. And he asks us to do things that we don't expect, that we aren't really excited about. Can I tell you, though, his plans are better than ours. We have this phrase in Christianity, we say we're going to give our lives to Christ. Like, praise God, we had four people give their lives to Christ. Can I tell you, I love that phrase, but I don't think we always fully appreciate what it means. What we're saying is we are going to give authority of our life and what we do to a real person. Can you imagine doing that with your, with your spouse? Or if you don't have a spouse, what about your parents? That you do everything they tell you to do. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I reserve the right to tell you no. But can I tell you, though, you can do that with God. You can do that with God because he's good. He is good. And it might not be easy, and it might cost you, and it might hurt but he is perfectly good, and he has great plans that are way better than anything you can imagine. You are called. 
Everybody in this room, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Say, I am called to follow Jesus. That's right. Wherever he leads you. And it might not look like you expect, but it's going to be good. Following Jesus is about relationship. Following Jesus is not going to look like you expect. And number three, following Jesus, sometimes it's hard, it's frightening, it's uncomfortable, but it's the greatest joy that you can have in life. And I mean that joy, J-O-Y, that unshakable, deep-rooted sense of, I don't know, I don't like using happiness because it feels like a cheap word, but it's that, that joy. There is nothing better than following Jesus. When we were first becoming missionaries uh, in, I think this is 2012, we went to this training, and it was, it was great. We were starry-eyed. We're going to go be superheroes overseas, right? <laughs> we were young, full of idealism and hope, and those are good things. But during the training, they wanted to introduce a little bit of reality for us. And so there was a two-hour session that we attended. It was on the schedule. I think it was like a Thursday. And we got there, and there was a panel of missionaries people that have been in the field for 15, 20 years in the hardest places in the world, Chad and Saudi Arabia, stuff like that. And for two hours, they did nothing but tell us about every heartache and sacrifice that they'd experienced. Two hours. And it just went on and on. It was called taking off the rose-colored glasses. They said, hey, what you're doing is hard, and we want you to know that at the outset. Because when you get there, I mean, it's going to be too late. You can, you, can, you can bounce out, but we, we don't want you to get there and fail. We want you to know what you're getting yourself into. And for two hours, they told us with tears in their eyes, literal tears, they told us about how lonely it is to move to another culture, to move to another place where they don't speak your language. They don't understand the TV shows that you've seen. They don't get any of your references or your jokes. They don't even speak your language. For six months, we went to Africa. I felt like I was mute and deaf. Because I couldn't understand them, and they couldn't understand me, and it was like, nobody gets me. We're social creatures, and it's painful. They talked about how hard it is emotionally not having those same life milestones that people get to. We see family members getting married and going to weddings and, and getting a house and going to do this and that, and it's like, we don't get to do any of that. We, we gave up on that to follow Jesus. They talked about how their kids, who didn't maybe sign up to be missionaries, still carry the weight that comes with being in ministry. They still bear the weight of being in another culture, kind of being stuck between America and another country. They talked about how you sell everything to follow God, and you go overseas and you just give your life to it, and sometimes it just feels like you're not making a difference. You give up on dreams that you had. You miss birthdays and weddings. And can I tell you, there wasn't a dry eye. And after two hours, I mean, I was, I was like, and you want us to be missionaries? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I said, was it worth it? And without a moment's hesitation, they said, absolutely. Absolutely. They said, the pain and the sacrifice and unmet expectations and hardships and painful moments that were absolutely worth it. Because when you follow Jesus, you have a joy in knowing him that nobody else gets to know until they've been there. You know, I talk a lot about the pain and hardship of being a missionary, but there's a pain and a hardship and a cost of being a faithful Christian in America, too. There's a pain and a hardship and a cost, as, as you mentioned, that Pastor Rex 
you guys, your family carries, that your children carry. There's a cost to being a Christian, but there's a joy to it too. There's a joy to it. God has a calling on your life, whether or not it's a ministry calling, and it's not lesser. It's not lesser. It's different. I, I, I challenge you to pursue that. Pursue relationship. Ask him, God, what are you calling me to do? Where is your heart for the people around me? The Bible says that if you follow Jesus faithfully, that suffering is normal and it's expected. In America, we forget that sometimes. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I don't have a lot of time left. Um, there's a man in the village where I was. I'm going to call him Michael. It's not his real name. He was the only Christian in a, in a village of 10,000 people. 10,000 people. And he grew up. He found a French Bible when he was young, and he found the Lord. And for 20 years, he followed God faithfully, and it cost him. And in Africa, your social relationships are your livelihood. And they cut him off, and they rejected him. It was hard for him to get jobs. They, they maligned him in the, the, the marketplace. He couldn't find a good wife. He finally, uh, he wanted to find a, a woman who loved the Lord, but there was only about five people on an island of 300,000 people, and he couldn't. So he finally, he married a gal who was a Muslim, but she was listening to him. And as soon as, as soon as he married her, her parents were like, you have to stop listening to him or we're going to disown you. And she, so she, she stopped. They had a baby girl, and they began teaching, not him, but her and the grandparents started teaching the baby girl to follow Islam, to follow Allah. Can I tell you that, man, there's a cost to following Jesus. But God is close to him. God is close to him. And it means so much when there are believers from other countries that go to that island because he knows that he is not alone. When you, you see that missionary wall over there, people who are going to hard-to-reach places are standing in solidarity with Christians across the world. And it means so much to see that there are people who have not forgotten about them. It means so much to them. So before we close, I want to talk about one last part about following Jesus. Because our story with Peter and the disciples isn't over. Peter, he, he got the right answer that Jesus was the Messiah, um, but even after Jesus called him Satan, like he, he kind of still missed it, right? He didn't get it, and he, and he went on later on in the story to deny Jesus three times. You guys know the story? Can you imagine what he went through? Can you imagine what that would be like? Jesus came to earth at one point in time in history, Right? How many billions of people have lived and died since then? And in his inner circle, there was three people. And Peter got to be one of the three. I mean, that is like the most privileged thing. I would have loved to be there. I, think, I, don't think, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. But he got to be one of the three. And when it came to Jesus' moment of greatest need, Peter turned his back on Christ. And can you imagine? I think he fully understood what happened there. Before we kind of get on our high horse and condemn, I have to ask you, are there times in your life when God has asked you to do something and you've told him no? When he's called you to reach out and minister to somebody, he said, I, I don't know about God, that's, that's a little too much for me. I got those times. The God, 
I got this other thing that I kind of wanted to do. I don't want to do that. It's going to take my time. It's going to take my money. God, it's not what I thought it would be. God, how am I going to make ends meet if I do that? Or maybe you're like Moses and you say, God, I, I know what you're calling me to do, but you got the wrong guy. I can't do that. I'm not able. Whatever the reasons are, there's times when we say no to the leading of God, just like Peter did. We don't know what happened to Peter. We don't know how he felt, but we do know that he went back to fishing. And we find the story in John chapter 21, the first time that Jesus meets Peter after he's, he's come back from the dead. That's John chapter 21, verse 15, if you would turn with me there. Peter had been fishing, and Jesus, he's on the shore, and he makes breakfast for them, and he pulls Peter aside, John 21, 15. And it says there in 15, he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Don't miss this. The first thing he says to him is, do you love me? Remember where we started with the relationship. He says, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you have that love for me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter messed up, but he had no doubt in his mind that he loved God. He had no doubt. When the, when the enemy came knocking, it was accusing and kicking Peter while he was down, I think Peter still knew that he had that love for the Lord. And look at what Jesus says to him in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Jesus is telling him, hey, you love me, so follow me. It's a relationship, right? But it's not going to look like you expect. It won't look like you want it to. You're going to die following me? Are you still going to follow me? And he said to him, follow me. If you've turned your back on God, it's not too late. I thought I was unqualified to be a missionary. I didn't get the memo. God wasn't done with me. If, if you have been resisting the Lord's leading, can I tell you this morning, the things that he has in mind for you are so much better than the things you have in mind for yourself. He's, he's worthy of being followed. So as we close this morning, I just want to create a short space to pause. I want to create an opportunity for you to just to pray to the Lord. I want to ask you a few questions, and I'm going to close in prayer. I've shared a lot about my life. I've shared a lot about my story. I love the Lord, and I've seen his faithfulness for me. But where are you in all of this? Everybody here in this room is at a different stage of life, but I can tell you, God, he's calling you. He's beckoning you to follow him. The first question I want to ask you is this. How is your relationship? How's your relationship? Are you putting in the time? Are you, are you casting your cares upon Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God? If not, let me tell you what. He's, he's your best friend. He knows you top to bottom, head to toe, in and out. He knows every dark thing. And he loves you and he forgives you. 
That is profound. That is profound. I still struggle to believe that sometimes, that God could love a guy like me. He loves you. Second thing I want to ask you is this. What is the Spirit calling you to? What is He leading you to? Whether it's far or whether it's something you need to do today. Is He calling you to go and repent? Is He calling you to go speak to somebody? Is He calling you to love on somebody? Is He calling you to give up on your idols? Is He calling you to rest? Whatever He is asking you to do, take that step of obedience. And the last thing I want to ask you is this. And I feel like this is really timely. COVID's been going for a long time. Are you tired? Are you tired? I have been through seasons of my life where I've been like, God, I'm tired. I've been trying to follow you. I've been trying to do the right thing. It just feels like I keep on screwing up. And I keep on knocking my head against every wall. And I feel like I'm running through a maze blindfolded. God, I'm tired. And it hurts. And I'm trying to do my best. Psalms 56, 8, this is a verse God spoke to my heart, and he said this. He said, the verse says, you keep track. You, God, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. God sees every moment, every sacrifice, every heartache, every death. The heart that breaks in you for your family members who are far from the Lord. God sees that. He's there with you. He's there with you. Let's close our eyes and close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you are close to the brokenhearted. God, I thank you so much that you leave the 99 and you pursue us. Lord, and I pray that you would put that heart into your people, that we would go to the lost and the dying and the brokenhearted in this world and share a life Sure, the joy that we have found in you, Lord God, the joy that is above every other joy. Lord, I pray that we would share it boldly. Father, I pray for your people to encounter you in a way that changes them profoundly. God, I thank you for the strength that you give us each day to keep going. Would you encourage our hearts, Lord God, in this season? We love you, Lord God. You're so good. We praise your name. Amen. And thank you, Jeremy. What a great word. Amen. I so appreciate our missionaries because the sacrifice that these guys make is, is greater than most of us could imagine. You know, when we think of a sacrifice, I'm giving up two hours of football on a Sunday to come to church or I'm, you know, these guys give up everything and so I'm thankful for them. So would you join me in praying for these guys? Father, I thank you for the settles. I thank you for the calling. And more than that, I thank you for the response, Lord, that they're willing to go and to give up. Lord, I thank you for their kids who are willing to be missionaries' kids. Uh, Lord, I thank you for that. I just pray that you'd be with them, Lord, as they itinerate, that you would guide them, provide for every single thing that they need. Lord, I pray that their car would run as they're crossing the state and also going into South Dakota. Lord, would you be with them, provide for them, protect them. <clears throat> and Lord, I pray that this season of itineration would be shorter than it could be. And Lord, you provide for them and let them be able to get to the field and do the work that you're calling them to do and encourage them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Guys, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, tonight we are continuing our Bible study in Colossians here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. So I'll be here at 6 tonight. Uh, I'd love for you to join us there. Remember, tomorrow is board meeting and leadership team meeting, uh, 6 and 7. Thanks for being here, guys.